really is a joy to be back. It, it feels like home from home, church-wise. Uh, I am uh, based uh, with uh, Birmingham Vineyard, that's where I go. It's great to see some friends here originally from Birmingham. And um, I, bit of an echo, is that right? Or are we okay? Yeah, okay. So, is that, okay, thank you. <laughs> Uh, around me, things like this go on strike. <laughs> um, today, I'd like to talk about, for us to explore together in the next few minutes, about changing the way we change. And, um, but perhaps we could start in the place of uh, try and look back three months and uh, recall uh, an, an aspect of change that you've uh, brought about in your life, in your work, in your relationships, that has worked. Think of one, uh, one part of change that you've brought about that's worked and try and think what's made it work. And uh, please turn to a neighbor and just say, this is the change, this is the change I want to mention very briefly in the last three months and uh, this is what I brought about by way of change and uh, this is what made it work. Just a minute. here from uh, um, just take a little bit of uh, we'll sample some of those conversations. Was that a bit difficult to come up with a piece of change that had worked? You're normal. <laughs> and um, there is a challenge here and I think one of the challenges is that um, either we don't experience a lot of change that we can celebrate or we are enduring change or we are surviving change uh, or we are caught in limbo. There's a whole bunch of uh, things going on and I just wanted to talk today about changing the way we change and I think the Bible gives us a, a, a whole lot of clues. Um, for me, um, one of the things that I wish I'd come to much sooner in my life was I, was I came before God and I said, Lord, what is the problem that I should fall in love with and really grapple with for the rest of my life? And, um, and for me, the problem that I, I, I wanted to fall in love with and really grapple with is what does human flourishing mean in people's lives? And that's the problem I'm committed to for the rest of my life. Where does that find expression? It finds expression in all kinds of things, like um, working with business leaders. Um, I've just, this last week, I just thought what I want to do is I want to really discuss with business leaders through my LinkedIn profile the issue of uh, imposter syndrome. 
And, uh, and I've been having around 500, within two days of making a post, around 500 views and, and, and responses coming. And, 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 and that's partly because next week on the 25th, I'm, I'm with uh, 300 uh, trainee GPs at the Oval and uh, doing a masterclass with all of them around uh, imposter syndrome because the costs among doctors in terms of imposter syndrome, the costs are huge. And I'll talk about how that disconnects with, uh, with change in a bit. So what is, what is that? It's, it's when we struggle with owning or internalizing any achievements we have. We feel like, I just got lucky, and I'm not nearly as smart as they think, and sooner than later, they're going to find me out. You know, that sort of, you know, everyone else here is really bright but me. Of course, it's never occurred to me. It's only me that this has occurred to. Uh, this week, when I was posting, someone whom I've never met before said, uh, said that, that's really interesting. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome yourself? And if so, how have you handled it? Isn't it interesting just in, in, in the public square to have a conversation? I said, of course I have. I said, let me give you two examples of how it's played out in my life. One being, I am not interesting enough as a story. So when I meet with people, what do I talk about? And um, then it occurred to me that it might be more fruitful for me to think in terms of being more interested in others than trying to be really exciting and interesting myself. And it just transformed my, 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 my being in social settings. And some of these uh, young doctors that I'm working with, it's been really interesting, some of them saying, this has really brought down my stress levels about being in, 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 in context, rather than trying to be the most exciting story uh, in town. And I've said to them, listen, when you have a social gathering, it's a bunch of stories begging for an audience, but no one is able to listen well. And, uh, and then the other thing around the imposter syndrome was, uh, I am not smart enough, so what am I doing with these smart people? Uh, and, and the example I gave there was when I, when I, when I became part of the uh, ownership commission that the government set up to look at how uh, our businesses are owned and, and, and how, how that affects us during a recession and coming out of a recession. And when I looked at the list of the people who were going to be my fellow commissioners, I thought, uh-uh, I think this is the wrong address they came to. Uh, because after I've said hello, my name is, what do I say? Not, not with these people. And, and it, it dawned on me that actually brilliance does not have to reside in me, but that brilliance can be borrowed. So I found six people whose thinking I respected, and before meetings I'd say, I respect the confidence of the meeting, but I'll show you the agenda, and I want each one of you to tell me, if you were in the meeting, what one question would you ask and why? So I was able to borrow their brilliance and take it into the meetings with me. So, change. Paul says this to us in Romans chapter 12. He says, um, talking about change, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be as a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. 
Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God transform you by changing the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But what, does, what might that look like in practice? I think what that might look like in practice, uh, a, 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 a hint is uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, which says this. When I was a child, I thought like, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Now I am no longer a child. I've put away childish things. I think is Paul inviting us to press reset. Um, when, when my Apple computer died, I borrowed from someone an HP computer that, um, uh, that, that I was using, and I saw on the screen things I'd, I'd forgotten existed, things like uh, upgrading, updating, uh, and, 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 and things like that. And, and I just thought, wouldn't that be interesting to apply that to my, uh, to my thinking? Refresh upgrade, up, uh, update. So, so sometimes we, it's like we are running with a piece of software that, that's outdated for what we are there to do in terms of thinking. So he says, I talked like a child. And the Bible says to us, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So choose life. That's huge in terms of how we, uh, it's okay to be skeptical, it's bad to be cynical. It's poisonous to be cynical. The skeptic says, I'm willing to be convinced if you give me sufficient evidence. The cynic says, my mind's made up. Doesn't matter how much evidence you provide. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Not only as spoken, but as thought. I've become really in, uh, interested in, in three types of conversation. That is toxic conversations, missing conversations, and productive conversations. Toxic conversations are just that, they're radioactive. <laughs> You know those conversations where you're always beating yourself up in your head? No one else is around but you're beating yourself up. Those are toxic conversations. And that go unchallenged. We could apply, think of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 uh, with that to say, when I was less, less mature, less developed than I was, I engaged in all kinds of toxic conversations. There's also missing conversations. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had a 15-minute meeting with yourself and at the end of that you said, we had a really good meeting, didn't we? <laughs> and that meeting was you discussing with yourself how your, your God-given strengths are creating value in your world of work. When was the last time you did that? Missing conversations. What about fruitful conversations? Think of the last week. What conversation did you have yourself that was really beneficial and fruitful? What conversation did you have with your loved ones, your near and dear, that, that really created life? You know, every time we're tempted to explode, 
it's an invitation for impulse control. And it's an invitation to say, no, I'll not do that. I'll not be controlled by that. I will create something different. I'll create something better. So when I was a child, I talked like a child. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'm, I'm inviting you today to be committed to creating life with you. Uh, any one of you ever worked for a manager who, was, uh, who not only killed weeds but killed flowers as well <laughs> in terms of their language and attitude? And the, these managers that, where everyone's brain shuts down when they're around them and they say, any suggestions? But you know, if you do, you'll be shot. How about committing yourself to saying, I am going to be a life giver. I'm going to be a life creator. One of the uh, people I had the privilege of working with was the former Chief Education Officer here in Oxford, and then he went to, uh, to Birmingham as Chief Education Officer, Professor Tim Briggers. And we had, we had the joy of working together for, I don't know, maybe four or five uh, years when I was uh, um, coaching his, uh, his senior team in, in, in Birmingham. And one of the things he taught me, he said, Oliver, I want each of my people to improve on their previous best. Isn't that wonderful? I said, so I am curious about to find out what is it that's their previous best. And I want them to know and own that. What is your previous best in any area? What is your previous best in your relationship in terms of how you, 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 you treat your uh, near and dear? What is your previous best in terms of work that you can you know, uh, begin to celebrate and build upon? It is so easy to be driven by a deficit model where the focus is on finding what's wrong and fixing it. That is avoiding failure. Avoiding failure is really, really important, but it's not sufficient. Avoiding failure is not the same as achieving success. What is it we are doing in our relationships to achieve success, to make them better? When I was a child, I talked like a child. When I was a child, I thought like a child. For you and me, where have we grown in the last three to six months in our thinking? Um, for me, one of my um, favorite people is uh, Charles Fennihal. Uh, he, he goes on, uh, psychologist Charles Fennihal, he goes on, he says this. Thinking is conscious and is active. It is the kind of cognitive process that can make new connections and create meaning. It is dialogic, it, you know, it, has, it has that quality of internal conversation about it. It is linguistic, it is verbal uh, uh, for those of us who use spoken language and visual for those of us who use sign language. It is inner speech. What have we done in the last few months to make sure our inner speech is more life-giving for us and for others? And what is your evidence that's happening? <laughs> so when I was a child, I, to I, 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 I talked like a child. I 
thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And, 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 and the reasoning piece is when we begin to justify positions and, 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 and adopt, defend, or, 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 or take those positions, isn't it? So what's growing in your relationship with each other? Is it attacking each other? Someone said, kick the ball, not the player. Are we learning to argue in such a way that we really tackle issues and, uh, and, and, and remain with a deeper relationship as a result? Changing the way we change. I think Paul is suggesting to us, if we're going to change effectively, we need to do some work on how we, our language, our thinking, our reasoning. And in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8, it, it, it says this to us. It says, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. That is descriptive, but it's not prescribing that it shall forever be thus. It's an invitation. But you, it's, it's like God saying, but your thoughts can become aligned with how I think. Your mindset can be shifted to how I think. And we need to be those who, who do the hard work of shifting our mindsets. Um... Carol Dweck, the, 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 the woman who's been, you know, you know who's been researching, uh, she's characterized it as the difference between fixed mindset and growth mindset. And, uh, and one of the main distinctions is uh, in growth mindset is, I, I can, I'm, I'm not yet able to do this. Rather than, I just can't do this. And it's amazing the impact on children. They did, in, in Seattle, they did some, some work, uh, they did a piece of research, uh, um, inner city kids and, uh, and, and Microsoft kids, uh, families' kids. And, uh, they, and, and they, so they, the inner city kids, some of whom could barely hold a pencil before starting this, uh, this experiment, outperformed the Microsoft family kids on account of shifting their mindset from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. You know what? I find growth mindset in the Bible, don't you? And, uh, and then um, Amabil uh, at Harvard, who's done some really interesting, was wanting to look into what accounts in the main for motivation in the world of work. And one of the main things she settled on was a sense of making progress every day on work that matters. And being able to uh, to capture that. And that's, isn't our God a God of encouragement? And he says, encourage each other every day, whilst it is still called today. And you remember when David had that problem, uh, in, and, and where his, his, his faithful men were threatening to stone him towards the end of his summer? And he was totally, totally depressed. And it says, and David encouraged himself in God. But that wasn't the only source of encouragement for him. He also knew how to draw encouragement from Jonathan. So in terms of mindset, friends, we are not called to be macho. We are called to be human. <laughs> 
and we're created for connection. When I was a child, or when I was less developed about this matter, I talked like this, I thought like this, and I reasoned like this. Some of us need to bid goodbye to all the defenses that we have put up for ourselves, for the, for the destructive behaviors that we keep on getting comfort in. Where we're saying, God, transform my life. Not just because someone has prayed for me, we need prayer. But it's interesting, Paul doesn't say, be transformed by someone laying hands on you. There is that, but he says, by the renewing of your minds. <laughs> and that's hard work, really hard work. Um, so for me, that's the, that's the encouragement that I'm bringing to these 1,300 uh, trainee GPs I'm working with. Um, it's, it's, it's about 300 on next week, but you know, right now it's, it's about 1,300 you know, across the, uh, the nation. Challenging them to say, you, uh, I know you're not psychologists, you're not psychiatrists, but you are uh, charged with taking care of our health in the nation. How do you take care of your own health? What evidence can you provide that you're doing that? So, my, thought are not, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God. And yet, in the same book in Isaiah, God says to the people, he says, come, let us reason together. And he says, and your ways or your habits are not my habits. What habits might you exchange for more productive habits that would make life so much easier for yourself and for those in your life? Uh, let me give you an example of uh, one simple habit that uh, I encouraged one, uh, one of these people to, to use. I said to her, when you wake up in the morning, don't reach for your phone. When you wake up in the morning, and, and not a believer, I said, when you wake up in the morning, spend the first 10 minutes reflecting on what's worked well in the week and how your strengths have contributed to that. And she said, it was like I was asking her to put 10 hours into this activity. I said, because what you do is you have the default where you give up your, your sovereignty in the morning to this wretched thing called an iPhone. And immediately you're into tasks. You, 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 you haven't tuned uh, your, the instruments of who you are. And, uh, and she says it's just transforming her life. Better still, I'd say, keep your phone away from your bedroom. And uh, maybe, you know, um, two hours before you go to sleep, put it away in another room, if you're able to do that. So there are little things that can make a, real, a really big difference in our lives. And uh, my encouragement to you is, let me ask you a question. When did you last think about your thinking? And what came out of that activity? How much more productively are you thinking now? Um, this is important. 
It's in the scriptures. Um, and my encouragement to you is say, Lord, I don't want to keep any area away from you. I want you to be Lord over the whole of me. And when I change, I want it to be changed in terms of my mindset and in, change of, in terms of my behavior. And sometimes it's, it's just little things that have a really big difference. So uh, one of the things that might be worth, if, 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 uh, if you're so inclined, one of the things that might be worth getting is um, um, a book just out recently called Atomic Habits. Uh, and, uh, and this guy has done some really interesting work about how tiny changes, tiny changes lead to big changes. It's almost like, what are, the, what are the small hinges upon which the big doors of change in your life might swing? What is it that God is wanting to change in your life? And you know what? He knows what he's doing. <laughs> this is Father's Day. Let your Father God come into your life and say, I want to embrace you. I want to, I don't want just to give you painkillers. I want to give you life change. I suggest, dear friends, you and I, we need to say, I want to bid goodbye to the things that harm me. By way of drawing it to a close and then we'll pray, um, this group that I was telling you about that, that, that I'm working with in London, I met with 13 of them who were organizing the, uh, the event last year. And um, so I said to them, um, uh, I said, you, are known, you know each other, but I am not known to you. So please help me speedily catch up with you by answering these three questions. Question number one was, where do you work? Question number two, why did you choose medicine? Question number three was, in the last three months, what contribution as a, as a clinician and as a leader, what contribution, leadership contribution have you made that is worthy of celebration? And that for me as a taxpayer, I might feel good about. And uh, it was really interesting. It was uh, in the room. It was silence in the room. And, uh, and, and I asked them, I said, when was the last time that you entertaining this sense of being an imposter or a fraud, when was the last time it created value for you? And, and I said, why is it that you entertain these things? And they said, it's because we are, we've seen people who are so full of themselves, that's, that's off-putting, and we think uh, the, the fraud uh, phenomenon is closer to humility. Wasn't that interesting? And then we had a question around, so if this thing is not helping you and possibly doing damage, and you keep on doing it, when does it become self-harm? Changing the way we change, I'm suggesting that we take clues from God who says, I want you to think differently, and I want you to do differently, and I want those things aligned. So let me ask you a question. 
over the next 12 weeks, the next quarter, what one change in your life might bring real help to you? Either in terms of how you think, or in terms of how you communicate with others, or in terms of how you treat yourself, or just in terms of whatever it is. What one change, if you were able to be consistent with it, might bring beneficial change, uh, uh, might bring benefit to you? Think about it. As you think about it, what areas do you have wrong thinking in, in relation to that uh, area of change? What, what areas do you have wrong thinking or toxic thinking or lazy thinking or no thinking at all in that area that is deliberate? That if you shifted that, it would bring about a change. And how might you remind yourself every day? One of the things that research tells us, it tells, it tells us that uh, world experts are not made by just any kind of practice. They are made by deliberate practice. And this is a really interesting field of study, isn't it? And, um, and which is, it just leads not just to, uh, to mastery, but to become automatic about doing things well. Well, what about deliberate practice in that one area of change where every day you are reminding yourself where you've made gains and where you've struggled and why and what you might do different. I mean, for those of us who are married, it might be a bit like, you know, the guy who, um, whose wife came to me and said, you, you haven't told me you, you love me of late. And uh, he says, I told you when we got married, then when I changed my mind, I'll let you know. Uh, and, uh, uh, and that's a habit that needed to change. Guys, I am almost emotionally labile. This thing of being gushy doesn't come naturally to me. But you know what? If I don't work on that, I become the slave of my feelings. I need to be able to say to my wife, I love you, you're wonderful. Not because it's been earned. And I need to, to learn to be resourceful with how I do that. Because not to do that is profoundly childish and immature. <laughs> Ever thought about that? It's just self-centered. I remember when, when, when we started a habit where I'd uh, come to Margaret and say, oh, <clears throat> as a husband, is there anything I've done this week to, to let you down and upset you? The first time we did it, I just, and you know what? I asked her the question, and she had the audacity to tell me. <laughs> and, um, but we actually need to press beyond our areas of discomfort and say, God, help me to establish habits that bring joy to you. Those of you who have grown children, like I do, when was the last time you sent an unprompted 
text, wrote an unprompted card, wrote an unprompted email uh, to say, you know what, as a father, as a mother, I am mightily lucky to have you as my child, and these are the reasons why. When was the last time he did that? How about doing it as a habit? Where once, once, once a quarter you send out something like a card, an email, whatever, and just see what it does. One woman who was a, uh, a deputy chief executive in a local authority uh, said, to, she said to me, she said, uh, I said, how did that farewell do go? She said, you know what, I've worked for this man for seven years and it was the first time I was hearing these positive things from him at a farewell do. It's a little bit like you come to you come to my funeral and I'm lying there in the coffin and you say Oliver was a great friend of mine, you mention all these things, and I sit up in the coffin and say, You never told me that when I was alive, I died for lack of encouragement and <laughs> go back there, there again. And um, friends, God made us to be like him. It's a privilege. It's an obligation. It's an adventure. God made us to think like him. It's a privilege. It's an adventure. For me, one of the things that just really, really brings so much joy is to see people who don't know Jesus come alive to how they have been wired. All these, you know, uh, people that I have the privilege of uh, mingling and mixing with. And sometimes they don't even realize what, you know, what, what's happening. It's just wonderful. You were made to be God's mobile address on earth. Wherever you go, that's God's mobile address. Isn't that a privilege? So I'd like to pray um, that God would encourage, we open us, we would be open to encouragement in the areas where we've been making progress. And that we would receive from God his grace for the adventure ahead of us. I'm encouraging you to step up in your adventure in terms of change, to step up today. <laughs> Do that as a gift to the Father on Father's Day. Let us take a few moments just to think together, to reflect on how we might change the way we change, so that we are not just left with frustrated desired, uh, desires and unfulfilled desires in areas we know we, we, we have a sense things could be better, could be more, but actually we're not aligning with how God thinks, we're not changing the way we speak, and we're not changing what we do. Thank you, Lord. If there's something God's lovingly underlined for you, the way he's saying, I want to bless you in this area of change. Without necessarily mentioning what it is, please don't mention what it is to, to those who will be praying for you. I'd like to ask you to stand where you are and for those around you to lay hands on you and just pray for you in support and, and, and cementing, as it were, that area of change. 
so that this week is a week of encouragement and difference. So would you stand where you are and, and let us pray for you. If, if there's something God's been underlining, you know, an area of change is affirming, is confirming, and is wanting to uh, encourage you. Thank you, Lord.